the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Life is filled with both sunshine and storms. But without God's navigation, souls can easily become spiritually shipwrecked. Anchored in Christ is a weekly broadcast that ministers the scriptures so we can know Christ the Savior and enjoy salvation, security, strength, and stability found only in Him as we set sail through life's marvelous journey. Here's Pastor David Kahiwat. Mark 1, 9-11. The Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on this message this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you right now, we thank you so much for the power of your word. And Lord, every word that is spoken, every word that is written here in your word is divinely inspired by you. And so, dear God, I pray that we do not take it lightly, but that this uh, message and the preaching of it would direct our hearts, minds, and attention and our worship towards Jesus Christ, the one who is to be exalted, glorified, and lifted up in all these things. Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct me, and I pray your Holy Spirit would be upon us today. I ask, dear God, that you would show yourself, that you would be clearly present in our hearts and minds, and Lord, use this message to transform us and conform us in the image of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. In verse number one, remember that Mark introduced to us that this was an amazing narrative. He says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He called it the gospel, which means good news. And Mark presented before his readers the greatest announcement ever to be brought to the ears, hearts, and minds of men. And it is this magnificent narrative that the promised anointed deliverer, the Messiah, the divine Son of God, has arrived. Like the entire tenor of this gospel, Mark began straightway to present the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. He didn't include a genealogy of Jesus, but instead, in verses 2 and 3, he provided an account of fulfilled prophecy of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner mouthpiece for deity. And then we saw in verses 4 through 8 that Mark described the public ministry of John the Baptist, and in verse number 9, we get to the main event, the arrival of the Sovereign. And today I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, When Jesus Arrives. When Jesus Arrives. Mark didn't describe any ancestry here in this gospel, nor did he provide an announcement of angelic hosts. There were no shepherds, nor any magi. There was no mention of Joseph or Mary in this account, no account of Christ's childhood or youth. 
Mark jumped right into the beginning of the ministry of the king. And you remember, John had been preaching a pointed message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and was drawing crowds from all throughout Judea and Jerusalem. Both Jews and Gentiles were responding to this message, confessing their faith and change of mind in God and of sin, and were publicly demonstrating it by being baptized. With all the publicity that John was getting, John put everyone into proper perspective of who he was. He was simply a voice crying in the, in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And while his preaching ministry was appointed message of repentance and judgment, John always made sure that he also pointed the way of the Lord. He pointed to the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And here we see an amazing meeting of the two. We find in verse number four that John did baptize in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness performing his ministry for God in the wilderness. I think about that, and I ask this question. Have you ever been in a wilderness in life? Has there ever been a time when you've been kind of out there, you're doing what you think is right, trying to serve the Lord, but it seems like life goes unanswered? You're in a wilderness. You've been seeking to be faithful to God, and something was still missing. You ever been waiting on a ministry and you feel a little incomplete until someone integral to the ministry shows up? You know, I love our ministries here at Anchor Baptist Church. We've started a couple of them. We've started the RU ministry, the Reformers Unanimous ministry. We've started the radio ministry. We've, we're about ready to start a children's ministry. And in order to have these ministries going and continuing, people have to be in, involved in it. People have to serve in it and to be directed, uh, directing in it. And I love our ministries here at Anchor Baptist Church, and I try to arrive early to get things set up for the church. And while I love serving our church, oh, how much happier I, I am when Sunday school teachers arrive. I love that. Especially if they're scheduled and they're supposed to be here. I love that. I'm always glad when our pianist shows up, especially since she's my wife. I love that part of it. And she's, she's an integral part of this ministry. And when we had other pianists, I loved it when they showed up as well. I love it when the music director arrives and his family. I love it when every one of you arrive. I love it when the hospitality committee shows up to set up the refreshments. I love it when the ushers arrive to help out when people are, um, uh, come into the, the building. I'm overjoyed when those who take care of the sound and PowerPoint show up. I am overjoyed when nursery workers show up. And I'm especially glad when people and visitors arrive. I love it when people arrive. You see, whatever we do, with all these ministries and all these activities, while it's great when people arrive, it's nothing if Jesus doesn't arrive. It's nothing if the Holy Spirit doesn't arrive. It's nothing if God doesn't show up. 
You see, whatever we do, wherever we are, be it at home, in church, at work, in our neighborhoods, and in our ministries, if Jesus isn't in it, it's nothing. John 15, 5, the Bible says, Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. Here in this passage of scripture, Mark introduced the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And then he mentions the forerunner, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is active in his ministry. And he says in verse number eight, uh, seven and eight, there's somebody coming that's better than I am. And then that individual whom John was pointing to arrived. And may I say this to you? When Jesus arrives, there's always something supernatural, something divine, something marvelous that happens. And so let's look at this main event now in the narrative of Jesus Christ's arrival into the scene. The first thing I want you to notice is this. In his arrival into this scene, we see his revelation into his public ministry. We see his revelation into his public ministry. Verse number nine says, and it came to pass in those days. What days were they? Well, those were the days where John the Baptist was preaching, prepare ye the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was busy in ministry, being the voice that was preparing the coming Messiah, and he was baptizing. He was busy in the work of the Lord. He was active in, uh, in the active ministry of a humble servant when Jesus Christ arrived. Now, in a synoptic account in John chapter 1, verses 29 to 36, we read this part uh, that is similar to this account. The Bible says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John was revealing to those that had just showed up from all of Judea and Jerusalem to come to be baptized, that the one he had been spoken of had just arrived. He revealed him as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Verse 30 of John chapter 1 says, This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man, which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest, revealed to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven with a, like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bare record that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day after, John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus, he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. This was a day of revelation. This was a day when Jesus Christ made his ministry public, and John the Baptist said, This is the one. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. John, in the midst of ministry, saw the Messiah and pointed the crowd to him. He revealed the Messiah to them. He cried, Behold the Lamb of God, referring to the sacrificial ministry of Jesus Christ. He would be that lamb to the slaughter 
that would be the sacrifice for the sins of mankind. He said, which taketh away the sin of the world, referring to the saving ministry of Jesus Christ. John was pointing out that these baptisms that he was performing on the massive crowds didn't take away their sins. It was Jesus who took away their sins. He didn't want this multitude that he was baptizing to be mistaken, that their baptism was what saved them. He didn't want them to, know, to think that way. He didn't want them to think that the baptism was washing away their sin. That's not what was happening. He revealed to those in the multitudes and the massive crowd, behold, here's the one, the Lamb of God. He's the one that taking, that's taking away your sins. That's what was revealed to them. It wasn't that uh, it was uh, it was Jesus who took away their sins. And and what I love about all this is when he revealed this Jesus to all of them, what he was doing was he was pointing out that the object of their repentance and faith was right in front of them. It wasn't their repentance that took away their sins. It wasn't their faith that took away their sins, nor was it the baptism that took away their sins. It was Jesus the one revealed before their very eyes who would take away. The Greek word aero literally means to remove out of its place. Right in front of John the Baptist was the gospel in person, the good news. It had been, uh, it had uh, that word gospel in the Greek language is euangelio, and we've seen that it means good news. But this word euangelio or euangelion is often associated with the announcement of a king. It had to do with the ascent of a king, the rising of a king or the accession, accession of a king to his throne. And at times it would, always, would be continuous announcement of the arrival of the king. This was that time when Jesus was revealed to the crowds by John that here was the Messiah, the anointed one, the King of kings and Lord of lords. John had been voicing that the king was coming, whose shoes he was not worthy to bend down and even unloose. And on this very day when Jesus arrived, something marvelous happened. The good news was revealed in person. God in the flesh, the Son of God, had come. John's message to make straightway the way of the Lord rang true in the eyes of the multitude. Upon hearing this message from John the Baptist, this multitude only understood it as by faith. But then they saw him by face. They believed by faith. And on this day they beheld his face, the one who would provide salvation full and free. Not only do we see the revelation of his public ministry, but secondly, I want you to see his submission to his public ministry. Look in verse number nine. It says, and it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. He was baptized of John in Jordan. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for me, when I first read these accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the different accounts uh, of the baptism of Jesus Christ, I wondered initially, why did Jesus Christ have to be baptized? You ever wonder that? Well, we find in Matthew chapter 3, if, you're, uh, if you'd like to, you can turn there. 
in Matthew chapter 3, verse number 13, we find why Jesus came to John in the wilderness. It says, Then came Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John, and the phrase here is, to be baptized of him. Why? John was a fiery preacher, preaching judgment to the masses. He was preaching that the only way to escape the judgment that the coming Messiah would bring and to enter into his kingdom was to repent and receive forgiveness of sins by faith and that the demonstration of this repentance was their baptism. He was calling people to prepare for the Messiah, to prepare for his kingdom, and to prepare not to be judged by this Messiah. Everyone knew that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. Says that in verse number four, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. That was his message. But wait a minute. Jesus was perfect, was he not? But he came, Matthew 3.13, to be baptized of him. Why would he need to be baptized? John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. What did Jesus need to be repented of? Why would he need to be baptized? He was sinless in his whole existence. Did Jesus know, uh, excuse me, did John know this when Jesus arrived? Of course he did. He knew that this Jesus was perfect. They were cousins. Did Jesus and John know each other? Well, John recognized him to be the son of God. He recognized him to be the Messiah. Uh, he knew that he was the anointed one. Jesus surely knew John because Jesus is Jesus. He's God and knows everyone. But John, in his limited knowledge, probably did not completely know Jesus Christ because John grew up in the Judea, in the hills of Judea, near Jerusalem. Jesus, his hometown and where he grew up was where? Nazareth, which was north of Jerusalem, that Judea area, about a week's journey by walking. Now, Scripture doesn't indicate that they ever saw each other as children or even adults, adults, except in this account. And it's interesting that nowhere else in Scripture does it record that John and Jesus had face-to-face interaction other than in this account, on this situation, when Jesus Christ was baptized. The only other recorded time when the two, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, were in the same place at the same time was when, they, when both were in separate wombs. When Mary visited her cousin Elizabeth, while both of them were pre- pre- uh, pregnant, Mary with Jesus and Elizabeth with John, the Bible tells us that the, the a moment that they were together in the same place, John leapt or leaped in the womb of Elizabeth. That's the only other time that we know in Scripture that the two of them were in the same place together. Fast forward 29 years later, it was John, busy in the ministry for Christ in the wilderness, where Jesus arrived to see John again. There may have possibly been family gatherings when the two were younger. Possibly. We don't know. Scripture doesn't say it, but I like to have an imagination. Elizabeth would have known that Mary was told that Jesus was the Son of God. We find that in Luke chapter 1. 
both Elizabeth and Mary knew that the one that Mary was carrying was the one who would take away the sins of the world. He is the one who was without sin because Mary knew that he was Emmanuel, God with us, and he was called Jesus because he would take away their sin. Can you imagine conversations between Mary and Elizabeth at these family gatherings? And I'm sure it was hard for Mary to talk about her eldest child and how perfect he was, you know. And I'm sure, you know, even today, parents, some parents today, they view their child the same way. Even when their child is throwing tantrums, biting kids, and doing bad things, they still think their child is perfect. But I just imagine Mary and Elizabeth getting together, let's say the fourth or fifth birthday of Jesus Christ, you know, because that's when a lot of families get together. Well, after all, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah, some of you will get that. Elizabeth visits Mary, and I kind of imagine the conversation went something like this. Mary says to Elizabeth, hey, Elizabeth, how's your boy John doing? And Elizabeth says, well, you know, he's good, but he's a little bit odd. He's always running off out into the woods, chasing after bugs and eating after them. And he has this kind of dominant personality, you know, and uh, you can tell he'll make a good preacher one day. And then Elizabeth says, well, how's your, how's your child? How's Jesus? And Mary says, well, you know, his, his vocabulary, he's out of this word, world, man. The words, wow. Words are not a problem for him. And he's always helping out Joseph in the wood shop. Boy, is he good with wood. I'm sure that'll mark his ministry one day. And she says, and you know, well, he's always perfect. Can you just imagine that? Well, here are these two cousins together again. John knew Jesus was sinless because he too knew that only a sinless God would take away the sins of man. So the baptism of Jesus Christ can be perplexing to many. Gnostics had a solution with the baptism of Jesus Christ. They would claim that Jesus was only a man, but that at his baptism was when his deity was infused into him. But we know that's incorrect because at the birth of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that he will be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. He was God from the very get-go. Well, we, uh, so the question then arises, since he has no sin and since he is God, since he needed no repentance, why then would he need to be baptized? Well, the scripture offers us a couple answers. First of all, his baptism demonstrated his submission to fulfill all righteousness. If you're still at Matthew chapter 3, verse number 13, Jesus answered John. He said, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. You see, John recognized this dilemma. John wasn't perfect and he wasn't all-knowing, but he did know that his cousin Jesus was perfect. And in, his, in this instance, he even disputed a little with Jesus. The Bible tells us in verse number 14 of Matthew 3, John forbade him. John was saying, no, I'm not going to baptize you. John forbade him saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. And comest thou to me? Well, John was basically saying, I'm the sinner. I need to be baptized of you. You don't need to be baptized of me. 
We're going to stop here, but we will pick up next time. So please join us next Saturday at the same time, 11.30 a.m., for the conclusion of this message. If you're looking for a church family where you can serve, I'd like to invite you to Anchor Baptist Church of San Diego. We are a Christ-centered, family-oriented ministry located at 8245 Ronson Road, Suite D, San Diego, California, 92111. Our services start on Sunday for Sunday school at 9.30 a.m., and our morning worship begins at 10.45. Then we have a brief time of fellowship before we begin our afternoon service at 12.15 p.m. Our midweek Bible study and prayer time is every Wednesday at 7 p.m. And if you or anyone you know is struggling with a destructive, addictive behavior, Anchor Baptist Church offers an addictions recovery ministry, which is a Bible-based recovery program that provides freedom through the power of God and His Word. This program is called Reformers Unanimous, and we meet every Friday at 7 p.m., also at 8245 Ronson Road, Suite D, San Diego, California, 92111. For more information, visit us at www.anchorbaptistchurchsd.org. That's www.anchorbaptistchurchsd.org. Or call us at 619-804-3413. That's 619-804-3413. Anchored in Christ is a radio broadcast supported by donations by faithful listeners like you. If this broadcast has been a blessing to you and you'd like to donate to this broadcast, please visit our website at www.anchorbaptistchurchsd.org slash giving and donate to Anchored in Christ radio broadcast. Thank you for listening and may God keep you anchored in Christ. You've been listening to Anchored in Christ with Pastor David Kehiwat. For more information, visit anchorbaptistchurchsd.org. Tune in next week at the same time for Anchored in Christ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.